Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me this week, fabulous guest co-host, Stu Jackson of TheRams.com. Stu? How are we doing? You know, Jordan, it was a more eventful Tuesday morning than I think I anticipated, maybe even you anticipated, but uh, nonetheless, it's uh, quite the start to uh, week six, and uh Excited to be back on and covering that and all the other news and observations from uh, recent happenings. Yeah, so we are recording this on Tuesday early afternoon. Um, obviously, Tuesday morning, the Rams traded receiver Van Jefferson to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Atlanta is getting a 2025 seventh round pick and Van Jefferson. The Rams are getting back a 2025 sixth round pick. Um, kind of one of those, we'll, we'll get into the why of it, but basically all of this started unfolding very quickly. Um, I initially reported this morning that the Rams were seeking a trade. Usually when that comes out, it is either a about to happen. And so everyone's fine with that information being out there because loose terms have already been agreed to, or B, uh, the player is, is, uh, they're trying to drum up trade interest, which that's not the case. Um, as I had reported earlier, um, teams have been calling about van since the spring. Um, and so this was a confluence of, of different factors, but pretty much 28 minutes after I put that little live blog post out, the trade goes through. So this is the case where it was imminent. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, kind of a crazy Tuesday morning. Want to start out first and foremost. And I know you echo this sentiment, Stu, because we've been here the whole time he's been here. Um, Van Jefferson is an awesome person and he was awesome to cover, uh, super kind, really gracious with his time, always available. Even when like everything was falling down around the Rams last year, Van consistently showed up. He always made it a point to ask people, um, you know, personal questions about like how they were doing and what's going on in their lives. That's, that's usually something that it, it just was so it was just so normal interacting with him. It wasn't like uh, media and player. He just was so welcoming of everybody around him and is. And I don't want to talk about him like he's just gone because he's gone from the team. But obviously, you know, he'll have some uh, <laughs> have some new people and new faces to get to know in Atlanta. Um, so I just want to say that the production wasn't there this year um, for again, we're going to talk about all of that. But I want to start with the human side of it first, because um, I am happy for him to go to a new situation to hopefully get some good tape out there in his contract year, because he was not going to have much opportunity to do that this year with the emergence of other players and the return of Cooper. And so um, this to me, you know, was, I think as a, as a human being, first and foremost, like I'm, I'm happy for him and I hope he and his family, um, find kind of what they're, what they're looking for success wise in, in Atlanta. And, um, you know, he, I don't think he listens to 11 personnel, but if he does, uh, just really wanted to thank Van for always being, um, just really freaking awesome to cover. Yeah. I'm really going to miss him and his family. He was, he was such a great dude to get to know from the time he got here all the way through, obviously, um, you know, his, his last remaining time with the team. I think back to, I think it was August when we were all standing around the podium outside at the practice facility. And I don't even think we were talking to Van. It was, it was somebody else. It might've been like, you know, Matthew Stafford or Aaron Donald or something, but he still, as he was walking off the practice field, came up to everybody and was, you know, shaking every single reporter's hand, which I thought was really cool. And obviously speaks to kind of what you talked about with, with just the person he is. And so, um, Certainly going to miss that dude, but I echo your sent sentiments too. That you know, especially with this being the final year of his rookie contract, I'm, I'm hoping this gives him the opportunity the that he needs in such a crucial juncture um, 
in his career. Yeah. And, and let's get into some factors behind this. Cause this is a multi-layered thing. It's actually also kind of simple. I mean, there's been some complicated exits from this team, um, in the past, but this is not one of those complicated exits. Um, this is, um, nobody, including the Rams expecting Puka Nakua to explode the way he has this early on. If they knew they would not have drafted him in the fifth round, <laughs> they would have used a much higher pick to take him. Um, but his continued, like, it, it's not just that Puka has been on a steady learning curve. Like it, he's, he's been on a spiked learning curve. Like it's one, it's steep uh, for the positive and um, his emergence. And then Cooper Cup's return and then clarity and I think confidence as well in that hamstring situation. Um, that's a factor into it. And then Tutu Atwell. I mean, there the thing that is in vogue, and I've been talking to a bunch of people around the league about this, actually. Um, the thing that is in vogue this year and probably next year too, until teams figure out how to stop it, is to have a motion man. Like this is your you are a speed player, you have good hands, you're tough. Um, you can get behind a defense. They just need to get you into space. We see the Dolphins do it. We see the 49ers do it. We see the Seahawks do it. We see so many teams doing this with specific players. And Tutu Atwell, not only did he really um, improve this this last offseason, but he also has secured a specific role within this offense where he's going to be that player that they do a lot of those creative concepts. And he's also going to be the foundation point when they when they uh, put wrinkles in those concepts Um he's basically going to be the first guy to run the thing. And then other receivers will run the thing after he runs the thing, basically to keep adjusting and evolving to teams. And so this is a three receiver team with very few substitutions. We've been saying this for years. This is Sean McVay does not like to substitute. They like to go tempo. They like to make everything look the same pre-snap with that 11 personnel and then change it up after the snap. They like to do a lot of the misdirection and all of those types of things. So this is going to be, this is a, a, a three receiver offense essentially with some different iterations, Ben Skronik and fullback or tight end and definitely getting Tyler Higby involved, those types of things. This is a three receiver offense. So if you already were kind of the odd man out, even when Cooper Cup was not on the roster because of the emergence of other players. And again, you know, a couple of tough drops for Van this this season, but I think everybody knew what he is capable of and what his potential is. Um, and so when you're already kind of the odd man out, it's basically like taking a, a little like... Um, like a card and putting it at the top of the pile and then everything else goes down one rung, right? So then you're kind of, if you're, if you drop to the four, you're probably not going to get a lot of playing time that plus we know multiple things being true. The Rams are not going to extend him. So at a certain point you have to figure out is now, now would be the right time ahead of the trade deadline to see what kind of return you can get for a player who also needs I think doing right by the player needs to get an opportunity to put some good tape out there in a contract year. I mean, two snaps on Sunday was kind of the writing was kind of on the wall, in my opinion. And so those all of those things, I think, are a factor. And I also see like some angst about the the trade return. Like, I think objectively, you could say, like, no, that's not a high return for a player who was a second round pick. Um, But also, I don't know that you're necessarily factoring in compensatory picks the same way that you used to be with this team because of the spending potential that they will have over the next, not just next season, but the next two seasons um, in, in free agency. I think that you start looking at how many late round picks you can accumulate in 2025, 2026, so that you can start bundling those to make up for what I, I think they're expecting to be a dearth of compensatory picks coming in because of what type of spending they will be doing in free agency over the next couple of years. To me, it's a, it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Now I could be wrong, but this sort of, I, you know, kind of reading the tea leaves as you know, we've done for years with this team, like that seems sort of like the direction it's like sort of foreshadowing the direction they're about to take in terms of no longer relying so heavily upon those compensatories specifically finding other ways to bundle and move up to get those different pick points by getting a bunch of picks in later rounds um, to have the option if necessary, but also kind of foreshadowing what the the, the future spending over the next two seasons could look like for this group. Um, you know, aging stars on the roster, you're going to have to replace the stars <laughs> at some point with other stars. 
you know, this is we're talking about a two year thing here and and the Rams could be um, really aggressive uh, early. And but but that doesn't mean they're just going to have one aggressive offseason. I think you're looking at a multi-year series of aggressive offseasons in order to eventually turn over not just the bottom of the roster, which they did this offseason, but also the middle and the top as well as at some point it's going to happen. So all of these things kind of go into this. Um, I do think you obviously you want more return for a second round pick receiver, but because of the way his role had decreased. I, and then also I do think there's an element of wanting to do right by the player to help him get some tape. Like Sean McVay loves van. Like I think that there's an element of that to it, but then also your strategy is changing for your team build. So it's not necessarily the end of the world for them to not get, uh, you know, to not outweigh sort of the, the comp pick. And then, to um to basically and you see you've seen this a little bit with them in 2022 as well to basically move players who they don't feel are necessarily going to be huge contributors for them so you open that spot up for help elsewhere um all of those things are true at the same time i think so <laughs> yeah i agree i i would also say too that i mean i saw some of the reaction about like oh well why not you know, keep him for depth and like potentially see if you can get a comp pick for him. It's it's like you just mentioned. I mean, I especially with the way Sunday went, like I don't think there was going to be an opportunity for him or as many opportunities as he probably would have wanted for him to show continue to show what he can do. And so like and obviously if if you're trying to get as high of a comp pick as possible i think the the formula if i'm not mistaken i mean part of that is the deal the player gets in free agency mm-hmm. like there like there there's you know there it didn't seem like there was going to be much of an opportunity for him to at least with the rams to be able to you know be in position to you know earn that deal and in turn earn right, them that's a good point, the, the, the 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 compensatory pick that maybe they they hoped or wanted or that or even just a, a compensatory pick in general and so ultimately it's going to be i think it, it works out best for both sides it's it's like you said because from a draft pick standpoint it's good for the rams because it continues to stockpile some of those picks because they also did a pick swap in the i believe what's the trade with uh the, the vikings right involving cam yeah, with acres yeah and so um yeah, I mean, again, tough, tough, tough situation for Van, but ultimately, I think it'll it'll better position him to ha- hopefully have the success that he wants. Again, heading into what will be, um, you know, a, a year of free agency since he's on the last year of that rookie deal, and it'll also just position the Rams to be able to, you know, move on and, and focus on the group they've got. Yes, yeah, Stu, you brought up such a good point, and so I'm going to just reiterate it here. Like, I get it with the comp stuff, like you those are super valuable. Those are super helpful. Right. But like, it's almost like you can't mourn a compensatory pick that never would have existed if he stayed on your roster because he was so, he wasn't going to get reps unless barring a catastrophe, which they're not, they can't operate as if a just in case mode with their receivers. I mean, anything could happen as Kyle Shanahan says, we might not even be here Sunday, but like the thing is, is you can't, you can't run your team that way. They need immediate help elsewhere and they need that roster spot. And so the other part of this is he wouldn't have I if if you're buried and you're not getting you're getting two snaps and no looks um, every single game that tanks your your future contract potential, which means that the comp pick, it also would tank the future comp pick potential. So the only way that this comp pick now would even exist in a tangible form is if he got reps, he wasn't going to get reps. Now he's going to get reps in Atlanta, which could increase his contract value, which everyone will be mad about because then he'll have the comp pick. But it wasn't even going to exist in its, in that form if he were to stay with the Rams is what it's a really good point that you bring up. And it's like I kind of went galaxy brain there for a minute thinking about tangible and intangible comp picks and like what is real and what's not real. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like as Creed as Creed from the office says, you're not real, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's a good point. And the other thing I would say, too, is like. Again, I, I know a lot is is has been made at least again with the the Kmakers trade and now the Van Jefferson trade with with that return. But it, I mean, comp picks are designated from rounds three through seven, and so who knows? Depending on how things go in twenty twenty four, maybe maybe that maybe that sixth round pick you get ends up maybe being slightly higher in terms of you know the slotting than whatever the you know compensatory 
pick would have been, you know, had it been like just hypothetically like a six round pick or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and so all, I guess all, all things considered like this, 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 uh, this was, this was at least to me, like a good, a good way of being able to, like I said, like help, help Ben out and make sure you're positioning him in the best possible way to succeed while also at least trying to get something in return that again, you can still use uh, to help with, you know, the, some of those roster needs like you talked about in future years. And so with that, like, I think we saw the future of what this Rams offense is going to look like. Obviously, 14 points is dismal and can't be the, the norm in order to actually have any sort of success. But conceptually, we're going to talk purely conceptually here for a second, especially in that first half you saw what, and really in the, on the scripted drive, like the first 20 plays always seemed to go really well, frankly. Um, the script. Yeah. Love it. Um, and, and so, um, you saw conceptually like what the future will be. Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup, and Tutu Atwell. A little bit of, a little sprinkling of Skoranek thrown in there. Um, some of those blocking stuff, some of that blocking stuff. Tyler Higby. Um, and then Kyron Williams and Ronnie Rivers. And so the the way that they layered and and utilized Puka and Cooper, I mean, it was so it was so interesting to see. I mean, I had heard all week and I reported this, like Cooper is not expected to be limited. And Cooper himself is sort of like co- being coy about like, well, I don't know, we'll see what it looks like, which usually yeah, means some cool shit's coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> usually. Usually that means something cool is is about to un- occur. Um, and so it, it's it was really, I think, for fans, and I could kind of hear this, you could kind of hear the ebbs and the swells when you're sitting up in the press comp in, in the press box. And fans were just, you could sort of hear the delight starting to grow of like, oh, he looks like Cooper, you know. And obviously the ham it's a hamstring and you you want to always have one eye on it. Cooper said though, on Friday, I thought it was really interesting that. The reason why he went on injured reserve um, was so that you have almost over the amount of time to return to performance so that you don't have to be worrying about this down the stretch. And I think that's that was really telling to me in terms of where he feels his body is at. Um, again, we'll see. We don't even know if anyone's, when any of us will be here Sunday. But, um, you know, it, it's it's it was really telling to me that they were going to really open it up and see kind of like what what he could do. Um, you know, the, the first several throws, um, obviously that one bounced off Puka's hands, but Matthew Stafford found him on the 22 yard. Um, and it was a vertical concept too. It was not even like a, um, a scheme open or anything. It was like, Hey, Puka, go beat, go beat your man. And that to me was like quietly another step forward and seeing what Puka Nakua can do for this team. Um, was okay. You're not doing this. You're doing this right off the line. You're against a, a pretty, you know, solid corner. You are. You have to beat this man for a very low probability throw. By the way, <laughs> to get a very low probability throw, which Stafford put it right on him. And so, um, to me, that that was telling of of the they're opening up the book a little bit deeper. And you can do that obviously with Cooper Cup here. But Stu, I'm curious. There was a couple of the of the like vintage Cooper Cup moments. For me, it was the fourth down. I mean, we don't see a lot of fourth down tries from Sean McVay, <clears throat> but <laughs> um, but we do we did see vintage Cooper Cup on that play. Um, for you, what was it? What was the moment you're like, oh yeah, this dude's back? I mean, honestly, it was just the way that the first drive went. And, and again, I know, like like you said, I mean, first drives are almost always scripted and whatnot. The first 20, 25 plays, what have you. But like the fact that he basically caught all but one target on that drive and how in sync him and, and Stafford were. Like to me, I don't know if it was necessarily just just one catch, but just the fact that the timing was was there uh, from the jump. I mean, obviously, there are a couple misses that have been well documented in, in the second half. But like for the most part, like it he he just looked like as as you know Sean McVay likes to say the the Cooper Cup that we all know mm-hmm. and so i was i was really impressed with just i guess the return to him truly looking at the uh return to performance level as uh McVay and uh Dr. Neil Eltrash like to say and 
And again, that first drive where they went to him early and often and he was taking advantage of those targets was was the biggest tell for me um, as far as just like what stood out about, I guess, him being back and him being obviously fully healthy. Yeah, it was it was interesting, I think, especially on the script, because, again, when we say script, we mean like for for those of you who are longtime listeners, I've talked about this a lot. But if you are new, I'll explain it. Um it's planned out calls. So they plan it out. You have your A plus plan and you're, you have sort of like, I I've referred to it in the past as like a charcuterie board. Like you have all of the meats and cheeses and pickles and berries and jams and whatever all on a board and you pick how you want to put everything together. That's a script. And so that after that, after those plays, which again, there's like 20 to 25, depending on the opponent. Um, now you have to start free flying and like kind of adjusting and, and, um, and, um, uh, it's like a little more improv, right. Which is, I think why sometimes it is so interesting to see the decline between first and second halves so far with this team is because those are off script. <laughs> you don't have your charcuterie board. You're like at the drive-thru window at McDonald's and you're, they're telling you the ice cream maker's broken. Like that's where <laughs> you're at. So you have to figure out what am I going to do now? You know? <laughs> and so, um, for my for my guy who tracks my tortured food metaphors, there you go. That's the one for you. Um, so it, it, it's like those you could see what what they've been thinking about and planning, and and you could also see that like um, that's probably going to keep expanding. Not so not necessarily on the script, but like have a, a stronger menu through the entire game of different things you can go to with both of them on the field and all three of them really on the field. So we're going to see this continue to evolve. Um, Ted Wynn and I wrote a big story last week about what this looks like now and how it will keep evolving um, over at theathletic.com. Hope you guys go check that out. But it's interesting because with those two players and then also with Tutu, who can do pretty much anything and are so interchangeable in a lot of different spots, you you almost have to, and you saw the Eagles defenders doing this, um, you have to basically like, Pick your poison, essentially, if you're a defender. You can not only uh, schematically expand on the offensive side, but on the defensive side, you're like, okay, what am I, what can I allow in order to prevent, what one thing can I allow in order to prevent two more bad things from happening? And it really, it's a smart way to play defense if you have prolific offensive players on the other side. You've seen the Rams do this a few different times with different players where you're like, okay. How can I contain Jamar Chase but keep him out of the end zone? Like I'm gonna like I'm gonna I know I'm gonna sacrifice a bunch of yards. Um, Cody Alexander just wrote about this actually. I know I'm gonna sacrifice a bunch of yards to X player, but I'm going to keep him out of the end zone by playing this specific technique and these certain concepts that yes will pile up the yards in certain ways. But or you could say like. Um, it, it's that's just one example of a bunch of different things that they can do. So what I started noticing was, so these motions do, you know, I'm obsessed with these motions. I think everyone in on the Rams beat is getting annoyed with me asking about motions all the damn time. But there's this really interesting thing that they are running this thing. I'm calling a ghost motion. It's not the real name. I don't care. I'm mad with power. Um, it's, it's like they're in a stack. There is Stu, Stu just did the mad with power. Um, they're in a, like a little stack or a bunch. It's either two or three receivers. And one of the receivers kind of swims underneath, uh, as a motion swims underneath the cluster. And then kind of, it's like, almost like a, it's almost like a screen screens are not allowed or pick picks like pick and roll. Like it's almost like that. They're not really allowed, but this is a way you can use the motion rules to get someone into space. Well, Tutu Atwell has been doing that. And I call it a ghost motion because it reminds me of a ghost pass rush where you literally you're ducking under something like in this case, the off offensive lineman's arm, but the ghost motion, you're, you're literally ducking underneath another player's concept and you kind of get lost in the stack and it gives you a free release. Well, if you're the Eagles and they started doing this, if you're the Eagles, you're like, okay, I can give you that free release because this is what I'm going to sacrifice in order to make, to prevent two other things on the uh, two other bad things. Right. So there's, they start giving the Rams receivers and specifically Cooper Cup on timing concepts between himself and Matthew Stafford, the long concepts that they missed, a couple of those in the second half. 
the the Eagles DBs, they started saying, okay, we're going to give you a clean re- that clean release that you're you're hunting up off the line of scrimmage. We're going to make up for it and and disrupt your timing in the early part of your route, early middle part of your route, like the early third of your route. We're going to do something, pull on the jersey, bump you a little bit, try to leverage you out of your step a little bit. Um, You can see this if you go back and you look at the all 22, which I was sort of like um, doing the red string whiteboard thing this (laughs) earlier this week. Always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, because I have no life. Um, And so. Um, I, you see it, you see it, it it happening and it's like, it's really, really smart by the Eagles because you're, you're picking a different spot to disrupt the timing play. You're picking a different spot to just throw off by like a half a second, that timing. And you're also picking a spot where the ref is probably not going to see it. And so it's interesting because now, so they're aware that this happened. Like I talked to Matthew Stafford about this after the game, they're aware that this was happening. And, um, and usually it would happen with Tutu, but it's actually happening with Cooper as well. And it's not the only reason why those plays weren't connecting, but it is, it is a reason on some of that. And so now it's like, well, okay, well, that's not going to, is that the next, it's like, uh, it's a way that defenses are evolving and adjusting to a play that's like pretty hard to stop. And it's it's like the pick your poison. You're like I'm going to I'm going to let you win the free release and then I'm going to have then I'm going to basically sacrifice that part of it in order to make up for two other, you know, to make thing to prevent two other bad things from happening in the play from being completed. I do think that refs will start calling it, you know, every team when someone adjusts different things, like every team they meet with the refs and and all of that. The next thing is like our teams our refs going to start calling it when they see it. Because other teams across the league will watch the tape and they'll see it and they'll say, oh, this is oh Mike McDaniel. How can we start? How can we start defending some of your motions that you use and some of your timing motions that you use? And like, so I think it's going to start getting called. It'll be interesting to see if it does or not. But then it's like, then you got to find something else. Now you got to find another way. But all of this rambling to say um, the menu of what's possible expands. Defenses will have to make compromises like that in order to figure out ways to to stop these types of concepts with so many different receivers. That's just one example. You're going to see brackets. You're going to see probably teams that are going to like split field coverage a little bit. You're going to see certain guys get manned up. I think it was really good that Puka put that catch on tape because he was like been known as like the zone receiver. Well, that was a one-on-one situation. And like, so you have to show that on tape to hold defenses accountable. Um, it's just interesting. You're going to see so much, you're going to see the, the cat and mouse accelerate with all of these three receivers on the field. The way, the way these three receivers are getting used, or, or maybe it's just again, because of the continued flashbacks I have to 2017 (laughs) and 2018 (laughs) reminds me a lot of, uh, what Sean was doing with, uh, Brandon cooks, Robert Woods and Cooper cup on the field. The only difference is. You know, Tutu Atwell is obviously a little bit smaller than than Brandon Cooks, but conceptually, it feels like. I mean, again, I think the motion is probably different, and he's using. I would say he's using it more than maybe he mm-hmm. did even with that tree of, of receivers during during that time. But um, not so much to your point about uh, what you were talking about with how that thing changes things schematically and conceptually, but. Just from a personnel standpoint, it 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 gave defenses different things to think about because Brandon Cooks and his speed could beat you deep. You you obviously had Woods and Cup who you know could win those short and intermediate routes, but also could you know make those deep plays if you really needed to. And so, I'm curious to see how this evolves and changes, kind of like what you and 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 Ted mentioned and were writing about because. Again, they've they've been really good about uh, you know kind of being ahead because I think you guys mentioned in the article right that like this was in response to the way defenses were already responding to something yeah. they had done before, <laughs> and so uh, you know the the cycle keeps repeating. But um, it's a it's a neat little it's a neat little wrinkle that you know I think obviously the Dolphins got are getting the most attention for because of Tyreek Hill and, and his super speed and the way that's, you know, changing the game, changing the math, especially for defenses. But, um, you know, the way they're using that motion now, it has been really, really cool to watch. 
Yeah, it's just fun. It's fun to watch, objectively speaking. And again, like I kind of, I've been sort of saying to people like, hey, remember when you guys didn't have any expectations on this team? And like, this is kind of one of those things where like, if you're a football fan, you can just sit back and enjoy it. You don't have to think about like, you know, wins, losses, because all of it's gravy. Like there was no expectation on this team from the outside. They certainly had expectations of themselves, which people looked at us like we were crazy for communicating those expectations. And it sounded crazy. I understand. But it was like, no, they really believed it. But it's um, it's interesting to see. I think that like what I'm still and we'll get to this when we start talking about pluses and minuses, but you can see the potential in flashes, just like you can see spurts of complementary football and then total voids of complementary football. Like, I think they're one and the same. They're the, and I think the reason I understand why fans have been uh, frustrated, even though, again, like all of this is just gravy. Like, this is a team that like most people did not even expect it. Like, they expected this team to not have any wins at this point and be giving up, you know, 40 points a game and all this stuff. And they're not. Um, I think it's like 21 points a game, which should be enough for the offense to win games. Um, but 21 points a games a game, uh, I believe, um, someone fact checked me if I'm wrong and, um, it's, it, but it's like stuff like this is objectively cool to watch develop. And I think, and, and to my point, I, I understand why fans are frustrated because, you see what's possible. Like they've showed you, they've showed you already, like what they're capable of if they, and I wrote this in my column, like they get out of their own way. And so with that, I want to talk about pluses and minuses. Um, maybe not so much from Sunday's game because you can dig into all of that um, if you want over at The Athletic. And then Stu, I know you wrote about, you know, game recap, stuff like that. And, but I, but I think overall we're, you know, five weeks in, some things that um, remain concern points or some things that are are sort of developing into, hey, this could be really real for them in a positive way down the stretch. And and I I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I might start you off here with pick plus or minus. Either way is fine. But what do you think some larger patterns that you're starting to see unfolding? I, th- I think one of them is just some untimely self-inflicted mistakes, honestly, mm-hmm. which at least the way I connect the dots was pr- part of the reason why, uh, you know, Sean McVay, as you mentioned in your column, you know, kind of uncharacteristically voiced or kind of emoted his frustration by pounding on the lectern in his post-game press conference, because the way he tested this team, especially in OTAs in the spring and even more so in training camp, like they have, they have the mental fortitude to not be making these, or if they are making them, to move past them and correct them. And so, while while I guess it's a it's a minus, I I there's potential for it to be a plus if that makes sense. Again, yeah, no, because of saying. the yeah yeah because of the way again that because this is I know something that you wrote about in detail. The, like again, the way that the practices were structured and and the way that you know he made sure that they were on you know on their P's and Q's and things like that. And so if if they can get rid of those or at least minimize them a little bit more, they'll have, I think they'll have a better chance of, of reaching their full potential because you and I have both seen how capable they are of, of competing, especially against the, the, what I would say are the top two teams in the NFC right now. And, and obviously when the, um, what has the chance to be a top team in the AFC with the Bengals. And so if, if that can get fixed and on track, there, there's no reason why they can't, you know, I guess get over that proverbial hump, if you will, and and you know turn some of those, you know, narrow losses against those upper echelon teams into into some wins. Yeah, this team is so close to have possibly being, you know, four and one or even five and zero, oh, um, that I think that's why that they haven't been like blown out. I mean, the 49ers game, the score looks a little skewed, but. Um, it's, it it was not reflective of what the game actually looked like. This game looks a little like, wow, 14 points. Who are those guys? But not reflective of what that first half looked like in terms of the way they were matching the Eagles. It's, it's like the big minus for me is a lack of consistency, uh, from first half to second half. 
Um, the big pattern that's concerning to me is uh, mental errors in late clock situations by a defense that overall I think has held its own pretty well. Um, smaller minuses, smaller issues for me is, yes, the offense has to be sustaining drives. Um, that's that's paramount. This is a group that this was this offense was supposed to carry this defense <laughs> this year. Um, and you kind of saw what happens when a, the offense can't sustain drives and B, the defense is allowing too many third and longs. Um, again, those things are correctable. Like you said, this is not a defense that anymore wants to bend and not break. They don't want to break, <laughs> but they don't want to bend quite so much either. That's been something that players do. I know you're, you're, I know you got an Akella Witherspoon story coming, man, and I'm excited to read it, but um, Stu, you've been asking about this and, and I've been talking to guys about this all, all year too, is like, they're, they're more aggressive. They're playing more aggressive. Um, their concepts are, are much, their coverage concepts are much more aggressive. They're still, um, you know, playing that sort of masked pre-snap shell look, but the things that they're doing post-snap are, are more aggressive. You see them tighter, um, in their coverages. The gaps though, are, are things that are correct, correctable. And those third and longs, it was like um, s- seven of 10 third and longs, seven, 10 of the 18 third down attempts were uh, third and five or longer. Seven of those third and five or longer, the defense allowed conversions. So that can't, that can't happen. When your offense can't sustain drives, it compounds the problem when your defense is on the field too long. Um, in, in a perfect scenario, the Rams sustain more drives, keep the ball out of the Eagles' hands. The Eagles are like, Eagles and 49ers are the best possession teams in football. And honestly, I'd give it, I'd give a little bit more to the Eagles because of what they're able to do in short yardage situations. Um, best possession teams in football. And so you can't, you can't be allowing those third and longs to the to a, a possession team when you're already you have an advantage on the down. That's what a third and long is. You've created an advantage for yourself on the down to leverage your ability to get off the field. But when you allow those certain and longs, it's totally moot at that point. And then on the other side, if you're an offense that you're throwing the ball three times fat, quick as hell and getting off the field three and out, like you don't even have a chance against a possession team. So those are the things. And it's like, they don't have to be this way and they don't want to, they don't feel like, I, I feel like they don't have to be this way. And and that goes to your point where you can, um, like you can be a complimentary team. You can, you can have the ability to also be a possession team. Um, they we've seen it. They showed it to us. So it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> guys, this is possible. And so that's to your point. It's like some of that stuff's fixable. So even the minuses kind of come with a, a silver lining. I think one that doesn't have as much of a silver lining at the moment, it's a little bit more granular, but it is a pattern, is they're not getting enough pressure. Um, when they do get pressure, it is inconsistent. They have a couple singular talented pass rushers. Byron Young is going to be a really good player for them. Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald, but you can't singular, you have to rush as a unit. You can't singularly have success and make a difference impacting the quarterback. We saw that with Aaron Donald last year when, when everyone was hurt. We see that this year with Aaron Donald and, and Byron Young singular having singular success, but not the group is not rushing as a unit well or, or altogether consistently effectively. And now Bobby Brown goes on injured reserve, a short-term, what's expected to be short-term injured reserve with a grade three MCL sprain. Now you're like, okay, so we're losing our people who can eat space to free up rushers. We don't have consistent pressure coming. Um, so this is a spot where Yes, some players will continue developing and getting better. But if we're talking about, you know, trade deadline, if we're talking about um, all of these types of things, like those are two spots, interior and and outside, where I do think, you know, yes, they want to hold on to capital. 2024 and 2025 are going to be the big spending years. We, We know that. But like, if you can find help there somehow, I think it's needed because it's just not working what they're doing right now. And I'm going to read, read you guys this quote. Stu and I were on this call with Sean McVay. I asked Sean, are you satisfied with your defensive pressure through the first five weeks? And he says, I think that's case by case. I think there were some situations yesterday where based on the intent of the rushes, got to give Philly and, and Jalen Hurts credit for being able to ex- escape and extend some plays, those third and longs. Didn't quite 
ex- execute it exactly the way that the rush plan was intended. Said some positives, get off the grass on a third and 10. Um, and then he said, there's so many layers to that question, as you and I both know. There's been some instances where we've rushed really well. Sometimes it's bringing four, sometimes it's bringing five. Some instances where we've got to keep the cup. So like the, um, you know, shell under cup game, you know, it's like, that's kind of the metaphor he's using. <laughs> got to keep the cup on the quarterback, especially over the last couple of weeks with guys that can extend plays. Um, so, so basically he goes on to say they, they set themselves up to get the um, privilege to rush, as they always say, like they set themselves up in third and longs. They did that really well. Finishing the play, finishing the series with rushing as one, containing the quarterback, even if he can extend plays. He's a, Jalen Hurts is a remar- remarkable athlete. They don't have, they have not shown me the ability to be able to do that um, on a consistent basis. And um, I think that's a place of development and high potential with some of the young guys that they have. But if they are seriously thinking that they have a shot down the stretch, I, I I would be really surprised if they're not at least talking about how they can either A, add some help or B, um, continue to adjust schematically what they're doing in order to bring more of those exotic pressures, the blitz stuff, which again presents its own dangers. Um, there's a lot of quarterbacks who are real good at beating those blitzes. Um, but you know, it's just, to me, it's, it's not enough just yet. And you really see it, you see spurts, but you don't see cohesiveness altogether as a group. I also think that that's one thing that comes into play or it's a big factor, especially against those teams that really control possession well, or or possession dominant teams, like you mentioned, like the Eagles and the 49ers. I mean, obviously you know, they're, they're, those teams' offensive lines speak for themselves. But if if you can't get if you can't get pressure on them, like the, then it's going to be tough to obviously get them off the field and, and disrupt the timing and rhythm of of obviously their their respective passing attacks. And so, as as much as you can try to create and and adjust, um, you know, the pressure packages that you're bringing and and the different ways to scheme those up. Ultimately, you, you need more than just a couple players to be mm-hmm. bringing that pressure in order for those to work again, whether it's, like I said, an adjustment or if it's something you're just coming up with. Yeah, I, I agree. And and this is going to be we knew that this position group was going to be a work in progress. So we already knew that coming in. Um, it's just you you want to see consistency starting to form there. And if not, change change has to happen, because if you know, it's kind of like what they did last year where it's like, well, they weren't getting any pressure. So, and they didn't have any linebacker outside linebackers left. So they threw Michael Hoyt in there. Okay. Well, is Michael Hoyt? Yes. He can do some of the things you want him to do. Is he getting the type of pressure you need? He plays off Aaron Donald really well in terms of conceptually understanding where Aaron needs to be and what he needs to do. But in terms of the overall rush, is every player who is getting opportunities there right now, are they rushing in contribution to what you actually need from the group as a whole? So that's the big question here. Um, and then, and if not, what do you, what do you do to fix it? Whether it's adding somebody or whether it's um, changing up some of the packages that you're, I think there's been some actually really creative pressure packages um, so far this year. And so it's like, do you continue down that road or do you try to get into a spot where you can do uh you can do more with um with four and in that case you need to make a personnel change and so that's kind of where um they're sort of they've got two, what two weeks 20 what 20 about 21 days to decide three weeks to decide with the trade deadline coming up and you know with this group it wouldn't surprise me if they waited till 2024 it also would not surprise me if they said hey we actually are way better than <laughs> than uh, than anyone thought we would be. So let's start swinging now. Um, none of that would surprise me. I think some of it's going to depend on, you know, what happens against the Cardinals. Uh, I think it's going to ha- depend on what happens against Dallas, who looks vulnerable in spots, frankly. Um, you know, uh, I think Sean McVay is going to have to send Kyle Shanahan a gift basket or something for putting up some good tape against certain opponents. <laughs> that the Rams are playing this year. It's like certain ideas, you know, like all that stuff that, that get that get on tape. 
Um, but I do think, you know, they've got time. They've got a, a couple weeks to figure out really what their firm direction is going to be. And I think that's also the timeline of opportunity you're looking at for some of the players to take that next step in their development. Uh, because Sean McVay basically said, yeah, like it, it's not consistent with where we know it can be. Um, and so that's that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, Stu, any more pluses or minuses before we get you out of here today? I think from a plus standpoint, I've been going back and forth on whether I want to pick the run game or the pass blocking. I guess I'll just go with the run game. And then maybe if if there's observations or insights you have about you know the way the pass protection has been, maybe you can chime in there. But um, at least just my eye test and what I see, it feels like it's been more efficient compared to at least the way it was last year. Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't know if that's just simply a product of more of the gap scheme concepts they're running. I know Kyron, at least from what I've seen on tape, he's been really great about being able to create something out of nothing at times when, you know, a lane seemingly closes and and he's been, you know, a big part in helping them stay ahead of the chains. But, um, you know, for an offense that is predicated on, you know, the marriage of the run in the pass and, you know, obviously those run concepts being, important to stay setting up some of those past concepts. Like that's something that I think has been a plus, even if it doesn't look like, again, some of the most earth shattering run games in the NFL right now, to me, it's, it's been enough for at least what the offense has needed to this point to be able to, uh, you know, sustain drives for the most part. And, and like I said, stay on schedule and ahead of the sticks. Yeah, what what I don't like is I, I love the gap scheme stuff. I think it it adds this physicality and they love it. The players love it. Kyron lights up talking about it. The linemen love it. Um, it's it it gives them an edge, some teeth that they just didn't have previously. And that's fine. They were a finesse blocking outside zone white mid zone team, and now they're they're moving that identity. And and that's fine. I would like to see more consistency in um, even if it is not necessarily the most efficient call uh, on your call sheet. Um, if we're going by the logic that Sean McVay uses, which is he he adheres to the feel and the flow of the game, I would say the feel and the flow of the game call for a little bit more running in the third quarter, like because you you are only down three and you have a chance to flip the script on like um, taking back what was taken from you right at the end of the game. Like you can go out there and take it. It doesn't necessarily mean um, even though passing the ball would be the quickest way to that point distance between two points um, players will all and linemen and quarter, everyone will universally, everyone who plays the game will universally tell you that there is nothing that demoralizes a team an opponent more than those long put together physical drives. And I think that they missed an opportunity to come out in the third quarter and say, Hey, we're not scared of you. You know? Yeah. You just gashed us pretty bad. Cause we had a mental mistake there at 30 seconds left, but we're not afraid. You know, we are who we're telling you we are. I think if again, I am a pass, like I get, like I'm an analytically minded, like the pass is almost always more efficient, <laughs> right? It's a passing league. It is the shortest distance, time distance between two points. However, I'm, what I'm saying is if McVeigh is going to use this logic of the feel and the flow of the game, he can't then justify the lack of run pass balance in a, in the third quarter down just three. So all I'm asking is the logic squares a little bit more. And so that's where I think, like, I agree with you. I think that they've got something here with this, this change in philosophy. It's not necessarily the most, you know, productive. They had a really great uh, week last week, 164 yards. Like that was what they believed they could do. Um, and then totally kind of go away from it. I liked their passing concepts. It's like multiple things are true. I liked their plan of attack against the Eagles secondary that was dealing with some injuries and was was susceptible. Like I, I liked that plan. However, in certain moments, especially coming out in, in that third quarter where they only called three runs and one of them was like, oh, shit, we got a first down on third and 26 because of penalty. Like that was the white flag play. <laughs> like, And then all of a sudden it gets somewhere because there was a face mask on Kyron. Like, you know, and, and so two other two other runs called um, in, in those those drive those two drives in the third quarter. And and I think that's a problem. You can go out there and say 
that is the best way to tell another team you're not afraid of them. And yes, it can be those crazy, cool passing concepts. But if if there if something is off about the timing, um, if you're feeling like okay, let's just let's just reset, let's just settle here and dig in and really like make a statement, like that's running the ball. That's what you that's what you do. And so I think and I think that they're they're almost there. Like I think there's again, it's it's in spurts, it's in flashes. You can see that they're starting to really. I think the players all really believe in that run game. I think on the coaching side, you're starting to see a little bit more. Okay, uh, week after week, okay, I'm I'm starting to like le- help like really be consistent with this identity. Didn't see it as much in that game, but I don't think I also don't think it is the reason why they lost. I think the self inflicted mistakes, a couple of missed catches, um, missed missed throws, like the timing stuff that that would have significantly altered the game. Um, this is the feeling of a team that's, that's really close, right? Stu, like if they feel close to that breakthrough, um, limiting some of those, those self-inflicted errors, like you said, I think would make all the difference in the world for this team down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. As long, as long as those get, get fixed and, or like I said earlier, at least minimized the, the, like the more they minimize them, the closer they get to like to your point to reaching that potential. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes. This is going to be fun. Um, another divisional opponent here coming up this week, um, in the Cardinals. Um, you know, I think if the Rams want to accomplish what they need, what they feel like they are able to accomplish this year, getting, uh, two out of three, one, one win, at least in the early stretch here out of two out of the three NFC West opponents, like is pretty important, pretty significant. Um, and it's, it was a really tough, brutal opponent wise opening stretch. So we'll kind of start to see more of, of what this group is made of. Um, in the meantime, we are so happy to have been back with you guys today. Um, can't thank Stu enough for his time being so gracious, being flexible this morning was a little bit crazy for both of us. Um, certainly was crazy for Van Jefferson and his family. Um, Stu is over at the Rams.com. He's on Twitter and threads at Stu Jackson. Um, you can go find all of his work, including, I think, not to spoil it, in a Kella Witherspoon story coming up that I am really excited to read. Been an awesome addition um, to this Rams roster. Um, meanwhile, for the rest of you guys, check my stuff out over at theathletic.com. Um, I'm not even going to tell you where to find me on social media because it's a toxic cesspool of existence. Um, <laughs> I'm doing fine. Everything's fine. Um, and I hope you guys are are really taking care of each other. Um, hope you guys are taking care of yourselves and catch you next week. Oh, and that you're staying caffeinated and hydrated. Oh my gosh. I would have so heard it, Stu, if I would have said that. <laughs> gosh, we're in week six, right? Stu, I know it's like, gosh, I'm, I'm starting over at week one all of a sudden, but <laughs> Stu, thank you so much for being here today, dude. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it always. Pre- appreciate it as always, Jordan. And see, I can't even speak anymore. So now you know it's perfect. Yeah, we're, we're going off the rails here today on this <laughs> fine Tuesday. But you guys, again, um, stay caffeinated, stay hydrated, take care of yourselves and each other. And we'll catch you next time. 